Hi everyone, this is Sarah. I wanted to let you know that this episode of Getting to Nimble was recorded prior to the current global pandemic that we are living through. And we decided to still release this because of how incredibly relevant this conversation is, not in its specificity, but in its spirit. So I hope you enjoy this episode and that you are all staying safe. Welcome to Getting to Nimble. I'm Sarah Bariza, a writer and musician. And I'm Bill Smoots, a pastor. Join us on the first and third Tuesdays as we explore how to survive and thrive in the 21st century church. I've been a pastor mostly at Presbyterian churches, though in recent years, uh, intentional interims in UCC churches uh, in the Midwest. And I've been a musician in basically all the denominations that hire an organist. And between the two of us, it's been over 50 years, and we haven't burnt out yet. And as we always remind you, yet. Yes, emphasis on yet. And there's today, still time. <laughs> yes, there's still time. I'm, I'm fairly young. I'm in my 30s. <laughs> I've hopefully got mouths to go before I sleep. <laughs> today, we are joined by Paul Vasile, and we are all recording here together on the campus of Eden Theological Seminary in Webster Groves, Missouri. Right outside of St. Louis. And Paul, it's great to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, can you share a little bit about where you're coming from? And the work that I'm doing. Yeah. So I work here at Eden as the part-time director of music. So that is a piece of my work. And here I'm engaged in making worship with uh, our faculty and staff and students. Um, and then I also, in the other half of my life, serve as the executive director of Music That Makes Community which is a small nonprofit that works around leadership practices, especially for congregational song. And then I also work the third hat, haven't burnt out yet, <laughs> is, uh, as a consultant. And I work alongside especially communities in transition uh, or in conflict and in sort of trying to suss out how we can be better at communicating with each other and make patterns that, that create thriving and, and engaged spaces of worship. And this is particularly why we wanted to talk with Paul on this episode, because if we're thinking about nimbleness and we're thinking about change and dealing with change, one key aspect of that is how we worship and making change in worship without alienating people, without driving people away. And Paul has so much experience with this. And I do want to mention to all of our listeners, um, one of the privileges of working, of recording on site all here together is that we also get to hear some trees being cut down. So if, if you're hearing a sound in the back, you know. Oh, I thought that was just my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Paul, you have, you have worked with so many different um, pastors, so many different musicians, so many different churches in this capacity, especially as a consultant. You, you yourself have also been a full-time church musician, so you've worked That's on right. that side too. That's right. And you've been in places where you're helping people make change and yeah. sometimes make change that they're not really ready for. Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, you're hired, you're the new person to come to a congregation and everyone's excited and, you know, they joke around that you get your first year, kind of honeymoon year, like pastors, and you get to sort of do what you want to do. And then... Then it, it's over. Then it's over. It's like, oh, now we're really going to tell you what we want. Yeah. And uh, I've had several of those experiences in, in the 20 or so years that I was a full-time church musician before I stepped into working in a, in a different capacity in the church. But I'll say that it can be really demoralizing. It can be really challenging when you come with great optimism and great energy, and then that energy is met by resistance. And I've come to, I think over the last, last few years in particular, come to have a different relationship with that resistance than I have initially. Mm -hmm. I think at first I was... Uh, 
must do what I want you to do and and feeling like I, I had to force or push or press uh, deeper into my own sort of kind of as I dig my heels in and push right. like from a sense of personal rightness personal the, rightness, theological rightness uh, that yes kind of, of, of my skills set but also a sense of don't you know what's good for you <laughs> ah. why'd you hire me what? Yeah, right? You, if you, if you, you were going to trust me with this, why did you hire me? Right. That's I, and this seems like not just a musician kind of thing, but also a pastor thing, because plenty of new pastors come in and have to deal with that cranky organist. I can say that because I'm an organist. Um, I've you know, never <laughs> known an organist to be cranky. And, and just having wait, to deal wait. with that. <laughs> you, just, you know, having to deal with you know that person who's really, you know, that choir member, that, that committee member, that... Yeah. That, you know, member of session, you know, who just is like, Council nope. president. Yeah, I'm yeah. digging my heels in and nope. That's right. And yeah. and what is this transition? Like, where where are you now? So it's it's interesting. I've kind of started to actually see the resistance as a holy thing and as something that I want to be uh, interrogating lovingly and in relationship with. So rather than uh, assuming the source of the resistance is... I, I, at first, I think in my, my life as a church musician, as a, as a liturgical musician, that I think it's because they don't like me or they don't like this kind of music or I made very, very strong assumptions about the other and what was motivating their resistance. Mm-hmm. I've been learning how to ask questions that and develop relationships with people in community that help me to better understand why they might be resistant. Yes. Um, so it's been rather than assuming, rather than, than um, no, thinking I know better, it's trying to get alongside them and say, well, tell me about your experience. Tell me what you're feeling. And often it does come down to feeling language. It comes mm-hmm. to a very basic kind of human communication and experience of change. That's right. Which we right. are very averse to. We are patterned creatures. We like what we like. And church, for whatever reason, has been one of the places where people say, I like it this way. Let's keep it that way. Let's not change it. And so asking, well, what would it look like to start to wiggle just a little bit to the left or wiggle a little bit to the right? Notice what we feel. Try to, for some bigger changes. Again, keep checking in with the community. And, and, and alongside any sort of thing that I might do that's new, one of the practices that's been really helpful is this, I call it noticing practice or checking in practice with people, key stakeholders in the community, choir members. Mm-hmm. Obviously, other staff and church leaders that I I, I want to go forward not um, not alone, but any change that's going to be lasting and going to going to go deeper is going to need the buy-in and the support of the whole community. Does oh, that yes. make sense? Oh yeah, uh, complete sense. And and I, I I want to just affirm your your realization that it's not personal mm-hmm. so much of the the pushback um mm-hmm. because particularly as i moved into interim transitional work you know you get there and people are kind of uh they want to be in your face and and they want to they want to send you a nasty email and maybe come in and tell you how it's going to be and it isn't about you at all mm-hmm. it, it's about what experience they've had and if you're willing to get beyond that 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 initial yeah. pushback or, or or sense of oh, I'm being wronged and just say hey could we talk mm-hmm. and and just listen oh my yeah. gosh yeah um, and listen deeply yes listen to what might be under the surface or lurking mm-hmm. under the surface and oftentimes strangely enough I have noticed that the resistance comes from personal discomfort their own something that's going on in their life some trauma some yes. wound some hurt some pain some anxiety that doesn't have to do with church at all. But has to do with their needing church to be a place where they feel that things are 
as they need them to be. It's mm-hmm. contr- control, which yeah. is right. human. That's, right. that's, yeah. that's but, you we know, all have the, control the, needs. The world right? is always changing. Oh, there's so well. much change in the world, but at, at least my church doesn't change. Mm-hmm. At 11 a.m. on Sunday morning, I can go to this place that's safe and and is unchanging. And see, theologically, I would push that to say um, we, we need God to be unchanging. Um, the God to be a constant in our lives that are often chaotic and moving around. Mm-hmm. And, and what we, what I, what I think a lot of us have done then is made the place where we encounter God need to be unchanging as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that, uh, if God's going to be permanent, then this service order has to be permanent. The, the hymnal has to be permanent. The, mm-hmm. you know, fill in the blank needs to be permanent. And that's a, a, a place where a lot of churches and church members get stuck in my experience. Mm-hmm. It seems like a lot of this is coming down to relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, very much. I mean, so as a pastoral musician, my primary relationship, of course, is to God and to my own sort of faith practice. And I do take that very seriously that I, I alongside these others who are in this community, also have my own relationship with divine. But then the the kind of the tier of relationships then is, I mean, I really take it, take time to get to know or to have some kind of deeper connection to the people that I'm leading alongside. Um, pastor, other church staff. I mean, I jokingly say that the best person in, in any church staff to know is the, the church sexton or the person who is yeah. locking up that building is mm-hmm. the last person yeah. out and the first person there. I, I, my, my work in the church has been changed by cultivating deep relationships with those yes. folks. I say not those are there. There yeah, are part of the staff they're team part too. of our staff yeah. team too, and we often will minimize uh, their importance because they're not so visible. But subtle things, and then of course our choirs and members of choirs and our congregations. And I guess that's the other thing is is that I've made it a point to actually get to know, to hang out with, to go to coffee hour, sit, hear from people, mm-hmm. hear the yeah. feedback that that can sometimes show up as people say. Well, what was that that you did this morning? That was different. Or, mm-hmm. yeah, that was weird. Or that was beautiful. Thank you. That I mm-hmm. saw how that connected to something in the service mm-hmm. today. Uh, paying attention, you know, on my, on my a- affective way to what people are responding to or yeah. are jostled by. And, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This um, is, is reminding me, I'm, I'm not sure if I mentioned it up mentioned it on this podcast before or not, but when I first started working at the job where I currently have, Bill was the pastor there. Um, and he encouraged me to have coffee with everybody. And I got there during the summer, so I wasn't really meeting choir folks. So I had coffee with nearly everyone in the choir and it was the best foundation I could have mm. had because it wasn't about that for me kind of rush space on Sunday morning where, yeah, I'm being friendly, but you know, really I'm just like, okay, mm. now what time is it? And I need to use the bathroom before the service starts and where's my robe and like, you know, all these things that are yeah. happening yeah. in that Sunday morning space where you're like, okay, you know, got to get this all together and, and how can I help them tune better? And you know, these, these nitpicky things, but just like, okay, you know, let's just, let's just chill for an hour. Let's just, let me hear your stories. And you took away a lot of their initial nervousness about mm-hmm. who's this new person and yeah. what was change after what, 26 years mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. same person. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think, you know, you were masterful in those conversations mm-hmm. with those folks. But, but it, it comes back to this, this emphasis on the starting point being relationship. Mm-hmm. That yes. that's, that is the foundation. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, isn't that what we're they're about anyway. I mean, and, 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 and to, to go theologically like you did a little bit back, Paul, you know, it's our relationship with God that's the primary relationship. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we enhance that. We live that out as we build relationships with one another in this community. Absolutely. Yeah. Paul, 
I, I've heard you talk over over time about the importance of, of understanding the larger community in which a particular church or, or religious community exists. And, mm. and um, I, I like the word I want to use is exegesis, that, mm. that, that, that you do a nice job of exegeting the larger community as part of your work. And I wonder if, if that's a fair mm. um, conversation, if you, could, if you could talk some more about that. Yeah, that's really great. I, and so, you know, one of the questions we ask sort of is, where is God in this text? You know, where is, where is God at work? Where is God already doing God's work in this community? And where am I coming alongside that? So one of the first questions I, I like to ask is sort of, okay, what am I seeing? What's sparking? What's alive? What's healthy? What, what is speaking to me of, of vibrancy and also of value, you know, and, and beauty? And then is to, once I've got a sense of that and a sense of where people are at and what they value is to begin to uh, lovingly ask questions about why we value what we value to sort of help people go deeper. Mm -hmm. So, so noticing that we have certain ways we talk about God in community. We have certain uh, images and metaphors that we privilege. We have certain, based on our culture, based on mm -hmm. a whole lot of different yeah. things. And as a musician, as I think about what change will or does do, it is actually inviting people into a new, some new metaphors. It's inviting them to new practices or new shapes. It's, it's disorienting them from mm -hmm. what they know or ways they've privileged, uh, you know, being in worship or expressing their faith. And of course, that's deep, right? You mm -hmm. can't, as one a friend, friend of, a pastor friend of mine once said, said, you can't tell someone their theology is wrong. <laughs> like, you know, you can't just... You, you can, can't. it doesn't get you very <laughs> it doesn't far. Get you very it's far. like, have you met fundamentalists? <laughs> that's my background. And well, yes, they both... <laughs> that is my background too. And so, but, but I, I, I do... Yeah. Yes, we both met. You're, you're going I used to, to be a fundamentalist. <laughs> Right. Let that be your conversation starter. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and, and when it is your conversation starter, it actually ends the conversation with most it does. people. It does. It does yeah. But when I can come alongside someone and say, have we or have you or what if we use this experience or this expression in our worship? Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes when I'm introducing something to a community, and that could be a piece of choral music. That could be a new piece of hymnody. It could be a, a piece of organ music that people have no reference point for, something mm -hmm. avant-garde or yeah. something in a even ancient for that matter, is asking people to give them some, uh, that's how I say, giving them some cues or some, some ways of being invited into the experience so that they can mm. um, name their, what they know, name what they don't know, Name their, their sense of comfort, name their discomfort. And again, that, that is partly uh, following up with people after mm -hmm. the experience. That's inviting people into mindfulness. Right. Yeah. And it's also a, an action reflection model. Like, I think that oftentimes in the church, we, we are all about action, right? We get something done. We do something. Even in our mission work and in our life outside, in outside the walls Especially of the Especially in our mission work. But when we are finished with that work or we've completed a task... Do we stop and ask, well, okay, what did we notice? What did we experience? What did we feel together? What did we see? And for choirs, in my experience, who are the, one of the most faithful and consistent gathered groups mm -hmm. of people in the, in yes, the entire church, 
to use them as a kind of a theological reflecting group as well as a musical ensemble, mm-hmm. attuning them slowly, perhaps, to ways in which they are leaders in our and are naming God in new ways, and and actually leaders in helping embrace and uh, and facilitate change in our communities. Yeah. So, like, I feel like I my like staff, that. my staff, and my choir, in some ways, are the they're the key stakeholders in this mm-hmm. initially. And from mm-hmm. that, the energy can, and I believe does kind of radiate out to the larger community through education and through other, other ways of being with people. That yeah. makes sense. It, it makes does. a lot of sense. And, and the, the power of, um, of, of invitation, inviting people just mm-hmm. to, to look a little differently at something or to think a little bit differently, um, is, is huge. And, and I, I think you're, what you talked about earlier, the relationships you work to build is what makes that possible. Yeah. If, if somebody trusts you, uh, when you say, Hey, go along with me on this for mm-hmm. a couple of Sundays or for Lent, yeah. uh, and, and they're, they're more likely to do that. And then they might experience something mm-hmm. completely new and different or yeah. catch, catch themselves off guard. You name that, you name that well as uh, I also think about this, uh, about, about change, not as permanent we'll do this now and we won't do the other things. Uh, I think about change in gradual incremental steps. And that includes stepping forward and stepping back and stepping forward into something new and stepping back into something known. I think that's a really mm-hmm. important human, human thing. So yes, we're going to explore some new musical material for Lent. And then when we get to Easter time, we'll come back to something mm-hmm. different, right. or something, mm-hmm. something known, excuse yes. me. Yes. So we're, we're, be build, we're building. <laughs> exactly. And Jesus will rise. <laughs> and, and that's some part of this, again, listening and flexing with the community. And also, I guess, being okay that the pace of change may not be the pace that I have for it. It, it, it may be that it's going to take longer than I think it will. But my experience has been almost in like a mathematical way that yes, the, initially this, the pace of, of, of being able to integrate or welcome new experiences can be slow. Depends on the community, depends mm-hmm. on how, yeah. how rigid they are or how embedded they are. But how much as, trust there is. Or, or how much mistrust there is. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about that? Like yeah. There is often yeah. so much oh. distrust of leaders mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of prior... It, For very good reasons sometimes. All, all sorts of reasons yeah. around uh, you know performance and, and, and how people have showed up, how people have regarded their the community. Mm-hmm. Or disregarded. Uh, or disregarded. Yeah. For that matter, yeah. But so to go to the recognizing that this pace may at first seem like it's, ah, we're in this murky, murky water and we're not sure what's happening. And then as the energy and, and I think the discovery starts to grow and people begin to embrace it more fully, the way the pace the, starts to, to quicken, at least in mm-hmm. my experience. Mm-hmm. And that's not a, I don't want to say that as a sort of a, promise or some some pie in the sky sort of way so much as to say i think that's a human thing we become accustomed to new things over time and before we know it the new things become less anxious for us that's right and we've practiced mm-hmm. embracing right. it or in a way we maybe become a little less anchored to the particular you know i had to have it this way because we're used to change around that prayer around that hymn mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. you know so we can we don't have to hold that so tightly. And you still had a meaningful spiritual experience, even though you were doing something new. Mm-hmm. Um, and and mm-hmm. and 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 that in and of itself can be revelatory. Oh yeah, 
And the nature of the relationships that we have and that we're building with each other could also help us to see, and this would be my deep prayer for any community, that what I need is not what another person always needs. But if I can see you, Bill, see you, Sarah, have an authentic and meaningful connection to God through something that I don't even like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or, or have discomfort yes. around. Oh, that's huge. That 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 I'm somehow cultivating also a, a, a sense of being bigger than myself. That mm-hmm. Christian being in Christian community isn't just about getting my needs met, but it is about being part of a larger community in which there are varied needs and 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 priorities. So there's a mm-hmm. way in which I would hope that practices of reflection, of of, of community making, and of bonding around um, not just what I need, but who are we. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. As a, who are we becoming? Yes. yes. Allow me to also acknowledge moments when you have really been touched by something, the bluegrass uh, anthem that I was just like, mm, nope, not gonna, not gonna go there today. <laughs> and even as a choir director, picking things outside of my comfort zone mm-hmm. with the intention of helping my community see that I just don't select repertoire that I'm comfortable mm-hmm. and proficient yep. in, but I'm stretching myself too. Mm-hmm growing and trying to model what this embracing the new and the discomfort could look like. This is reminding me about a practice that I try to do, and I don't, I don't always succeed at this, but I try to make sure when I'm programming hymnody and other congregational music, make sure that I'm hitting different emotional areas so it's not all upbeat and it's not all, you know, how can I keep from singing this wonderful thing? And also not all really down because I realize, like on a given Sunday, I'm going to have someone who's really down and I'm going to have someone who's really happy and I want to reach them both. And I, I think that this relates to what you're saying about, you know, you have, you're always in a church going to have someone who's like, it's got to stay the same. And, you know, maybe some hymns are for them and, and you're going to have some people who are like, I'm so tired of this. And maybe some hymns are for them. And I, I don't think that that is sometimes people get down on, you know, so-called blended blended worship or whatever that's um like oh you're not you're you're um you're trying to do so much you're just never going to please anyone mm-hmm. but to me i i kind of flip that and i think like well no like it's okay for us to have to take different things from a service that kind of is corporate worship that's mm-hmm. one of the elements to me of what makes corporate worship corporate is mm. that not all of it is for me and that's totally fine mm. yeah yeah i'm not the center I had an experience this past weekend at a workshop in Haverhill, Massachusetts, and it was really rich that we were doing some theological reflection after an experience of a worship service. And this service in particular was just a little morning prayer service that we had, and there was no paper. We had we gave no one a bulletin. We gave no mm-hmm. one an order of worship. And it's common in our work with Music That Makes Community that we begin our events this way. Yeah. We begin with what, what I guess we'll call communal disorientation. Yeah, I was going to say, it made everybody <laughs> nervous because there's no bulletin. <laughs> and yet what was so beautiful was this, and we always, of course, follow this up with some what did you notice? Mm-hmm. And that it tends to really encourage people to not go, what did you think? What did you like? What did you not like? Those are questions that I'm not very keen on. Right. right. But mm-hmm. questions of what did you see? What did you feel? What did you hear? What did you sense? Inviting people into the parts of, we were talking earlier, the parts of them that are helping them be more fully present in the moment, which to mm. me is, is what we're mining. That's what, yes. we're, we're, what we're aiming for is our real experience in the moment. And to notice within this group of 30 people how richly different all of our experiences were of the exact same thing. And no one, no one person's experience had to be the right 
or the wrong experience, but together we could hold, and the, the space that we were attempting to make together for this workshop could hold all that variety of opinion and perspective, and, and then we could say thank you, and we could walk away. It wasn't about trying to prove that, well, we need to worship more without, without bulletins, or we need to worship with them. It wasn't trying mm -hmm. to make a point. It was trying to just hold an experience of very different um, response. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I like that. I like that. And I wonder if church were more oriented, not just around uh, practical or, uh, I don't know how to say this. Sometimes I think in our leaderly work, we get really focused on our goals. Mm -hmm. on, yeah. on, on achieving certain things or getting certain five -year things done. Five-year plan. And those are really also good. <laughs> also really valuable, right? But not the only valuable thing. Right. And so sometimes That's in our goal-orientedness, we lose track of the fact that that it, it is really um, something deeper than that goal. There's something under the surface of that. And, and if our community isn't in, in that with us, and if we're not with them in it, um, we might be missing something. We might be missing something really deep. Yeah. Well, and, and I don't want to be trite by saying this, but but I think in a lot of ways that's the Holy Spirit's invitation mm. uh, to us towards God's future. And, mm. and, and, and in some ways we've got to get ourselves out of the way so that we can listen for that mm. deeper call. Yep. And, 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 and listen collectively, because mm. uh, then you're more likely to, to, to get someplace. Yeah, so here, here we go. So maybe to take back what we talked about earlier in this conversation, resistance yes. is not a negative, but resistance may actually be part of the Holy Spirit's invitation to listen more deeply mm. to both to ourselves, but also to the community that we're in and where God might be calling us to be. Preach to it. Go. You know what Preach I'm saying? It, Brother so, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> but resist, resistance is, yeah, something I want to make peace with. This is making me think um, about the field of pain management and mindfulness with pain management. And so much of that is about finding that resistance in your body and not ignoring it, but paying attention to it and like giving your full attention to that pain to see that resistance in order to mm -hmm. eventually like to help that resistance um, be, be less resistant, you know, mm. to find some peace in that. But it's not about um, covering it over, ignoring it. Oh, it'll, it'll go away if I just ignore this. Yeah. And yeah. expand that. And that's to, in our, our actual bodies. To the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And where, yeah. where often it seems our first reaction is to ignore it or, or to stuff it or shove it someplace mm -hmm. that we don't have to make it go away. Yeah. And mm -hmm. until it builds up and then we just and explode. Explode. Yeah. I, I really, I have to say, and I, 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 this has been such a learning curve. There, there have been times in my ministry where I will say change resistors. Um, and especially the way that they carried, um, the way that they carried that, that resistance did actually feel um, like it was uh, communally abusive. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to. I don't want to name the possibility that there are people in our systems, in mm -hmm. in our churches, in our pews, in our choirs, yeah. who do actually um, inflict a kind of uh, their their own needs or their own control on others in ways mm -hmm. that are not helpful. Oh, absolutely. Um, and so, absolutely, yes. I, in our pulpits. Yes. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. And, but so to yeah. say, I, I want to be careful here. I say this that that, that yes, we're going to encounter resistance in a broad variety of ideas and perspectives. 
And we also sometimes need to speak directly to and lovingly, but also clearly to people in the community who, who aren't willing to or who cannot abide uh, the noticing and who simply judge, 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 mm -hmm. judge. Mm -hmm. um, I find that it's not that, not that judging is bad, but it can often shut down the rich and healthy conversations that can result. I mean, this is happening in our country politically. Mm -hmm. We yep. are losing our ability to speak with love and different opinion and perspective. Mm -hmm. But what's going to allow us to hold that wide center? Um, I think it's it's a more generous and more aware, um, a more empathetic kind of mind. And, and it's a common mind. It's something that we can cultivate as a community, as a, as a culture. But I think it has to start somewhere. And mm -hmm. if it doesn't start in our, you know, in our pews and in our choir lofts, I, I wonder what impact that has, you know, on, mm. on all that needs to happen in our community. It's like having a, a ground rule of not just politeness, but mutual, uh, respectful relationship. That's right. That yeah. some, and, and, you know, there are folks who want to be curmudgeonly mm. and, uh, they want to just kind of beat it down and say, nope, not going to happen on my watch. Um, and it's noticing that, that there are people in our communities who wield that power, who we've given that power, mm -hmm. and who need to be asked to show up uh, with love and care and respect. We, we have mm -hmm. sometimes, too, really empowered people to be destructive. Correct. Mm -hmm. And not yeah. stop them and not ask for others' help in, in saying to someone, what you're doing is actually fraying the thread here, not helping it become more woven. Um, and so that's that's another hard dynamic. And it having is. had a couple yeah. of experiences where I've had to confront people who were who were very very uh, vocal about their resistance to change, or who said, "I'm leaving if this is going to happen." X mm -hmm. Y Z. Yeah. And I've had some people leave my choirs because there were some ways in which they couldn't be fully present to the work we were doing, and that was always full of grief. And yet, what grew as a result of their departure was often healthier and deeper mm -hmm. and more, mm -hmm. uh, it was fuller if I could, than, uh, than it might've been. Yeah. We'll miss you. <laughs> and you'll, you'll miss something you'll miss, too. And you'll miss, miss us. Too. Yeah. You'll yeah. miss us because there's something about the way we are endeavoring to be together in, in spirit and, and in, and in a generous, uh, loving, but clear commitment to uh, to a community, a life, you know, and it's it's this challenge, this individualism versus community right. that we're we're constantly in, and then I think again, change has a place in that too, you know, especially in this country where we're so focused on what we need, what I want, how I need to be nourished by the experience, rather than what's the collective experience or expression. Yeah. As we're finishing things up, I'm wondering if we can talk specifically about leadership relationships. And I'm thinking how it's classic scenario for a reason, because, you know, here's the musician who wants to make some sort of change and a pastor who says, absolutely not. That's going to alienate me. That's going to alienate the donors. That's going to whatever. Or new pastor comes in, meets the musician who's been there for 35 years and says, I want to make some changes. And the musician is like, over my dead body. <laughs> and in our church structure, you we can't can hire me. That. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you have some interesting perspective about making conversation happen, hopefully in a productive and loving kind of way. Yeah. I, so I think that one of the things I've noticed as I've been in, in conversation, both with pastors and musicians, is that 
that those who have experienced the richness of their theological training and pastoral training and those who have experienced musical training often have two different vocabularies. Mm -hmm. uh, they're using two, two different sort of sets of words that could actually mean something similar. Um, but I, I was, I've been wondering what it would look like for, for pastors to be more musically formed and, and aware and for musicians to be more pastorally formed mm -hmm. um, and ways in which our, all that we do in our seminaries, but also in our places of formation for musicians, uh, for churches, meet somewhere in this space where we can, for example, say, what, uh, what is the energy that you're looking to, to find at the end of your sermon, Bill? Uh, mm -hmm. Where do I want to meet you musically so that I can help carry forward what you've proclaimed and interpreted through the word? How can that happen through the text or through even the musical structure that we might choose at that moment? Um, and for you as a pastor to say to a musician, hey, uh, that opening hymn was slow and I wonder is there a way we could increase the pace or could we move the flow of the service forward um, to help uh, help things to move uh, in this particular area. I guess I'm feeling a little clumsy, but finding ways to, with love, with care, but also with respect, talk to each other, mm -hmm. um, not yeah. talk over or at each other. I think musicians need more affective words. We need more emotional vocabulary. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> we, we need also more theological vocabulary. Uh -huh. And I wonder if pastors also need more, more, dynamic uh, oh, and agree. more texture, more color, uh, less in the head, more in the heart or in the body or in the feet. Uh, how, does that ha how does that happen? I'm wondering, some of this is maybe not even about that initial question, but being in a relational place where you can have a conversation about that, say that critique about having that slow opening hymn. I could imagine a pastor with no musical training saying slow when actually they meant, I didn't like the registration on the organ. Or maybe actually they meant like it was in a minor key. Or maybe actually they meant it had five stanzas. But they said the word slow. <laughs> and so the musician hears, oh, they want me to play faster. Brilliant. Sarah. You know, yeah. and, yeah, and right. if you aren't in a place where you can have a more specific back and forth, what do you actually mean by this in a way that's respectful and hopefully not alienating? Like that yeah. doesn't feel like a personal insult to, oh, I think you're a bad musician. I think you're a bad pastor, you know, mm. because those kinds of conversations oh. can, yeah. you know, take on that overtone of, I don't like you personally kind of thing. And if you want to get off on a wrong foot with a musician or a pastor, kind of criticize them at their deepest level of expertise. Yeah, um, right? Yeah, I know you're the expert musician, but... <laughs> right, right. Well, and, I, and I've seen musicians, when I was an associate pastor, I watched heads of staff do that to some musicians mm -hmm. and with some ugly results. Oh, yeah. And, and, yeah. Um, and that was very informative. Um, mm -hmm. The other thing I'm thinking of is, you know, we had 18 months uh, together when I was interim where you're serving and the the relationship building of of uh, a staff lunch together mm -hmm. once a week mm -hmm. and 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 conversation that that happened at church but also extended beyond mm -hmm. i think we were able to do a lot more with a worship service because of that relationship and that mm -hmm. goes back to the beginning of this conversation yeah. mm -hmm. and the importance of building those yeah. relationships taking the time yeah. to nurture them and cultivate them um and and not just because it'll make for a better mm. uh worship service mm -hmm. uh because it makes you better people and out of that 
grows the yeah. possibility yeah. Yeah. for better, more faithful, more meaningful worship. Yeah. In the in the music that makes community workshops that we offer, we were very keen on seeing musicians and pastors or heads of staff or worship pastors come together to an event to an ex to experience something new together, mm -hmm. to learn alongside each other, but also to engage in deeper reflection together on why we sing. Um, on the theology that undergirds our mm. being together and, and also having embodied experience of that. And that, it, it takes it out of the head and it puts it into the body or into the, into the actual, um, emotional space. And I think that that's, that's one of the challenges, right? So time, I immediately think, well, Hey, if I'm a part-time musician and it's hard for me to have the extra time to meet with my pastor and my church isn't going to pay me for that, what, what do we do? Well, maybe we make it a priority that we pay our musician the extra mm -hmm. two hours a week to come and, oh my gosh, oh, could geez. that be? I know, right? Now you've just lost your mind. But, or maybe you rearrange your staff meeting. So, so once a month you have a staff meeting so that part-time person who Everyone is a full-time school there. teacher can actually come. Absolutely. You know? And I know some churches do this. They yeah. do. Yeah. But I, I, yeah. I, so I was sure. God commenting. <laughs> it's like, amen. amen. Um, this, this makes me wonder about, I mean, this is kind of my soapbox and then I'll shut up, but like churches that just like piecemeal all the part-time stuff together because yes. they don't want to pay benefits or whatever, or Correct. because that's just how they hired it. And, and I see that and I think there's so much loss. And I realize not every church can afford to hire the full-time people, but I'm talking about like churches that could, but just choose to say have 10 part-time people instead of four or five full-time people, Correct. you know? And, yeah. and it, to me, there, it's such a short-sighted and, uh, de-emphasized, it, it just de-emphasizes relationships and that kind of thing. And you, you lose it so much. It relationships. It literally cheapens ministry mm -hmm. opportunities as yeah. they're trying to be cheap. Yeah. Because that part-time thing for the most part has to be shoehorned in around the rest of those, you know, in the fringes of that, per that person's mm -hmm. life, which, you know, is not their fault. That's, you know, that's. Yeah. The environment, but that's that's kind of a okay off of my soapbox. <laughs> okay, that could be now. another nimble podcast. <laughs> yes, I, yes, I think yeah. hiring, hiring practices sounds yeah. absolutely right to me. Mm -hmm. And I think more than anything is just that sense that that mm -hmm. the work that we do and the way that we do it, that that it honors the the commitments that we have to each other to the church, and and that we don't lose sight of this this very again fundamental connection. If I am not um, in relationship with you and you're not in relationship with me, how could we then invite the community to be in relationship with itself? Oh, yes. mm, yeah. um, I think we model from the top as staff members, part-time or full-time, the quality of relationships and the quality of connection we then will have or hope to have with our community. And that takes work, but it, it takes is, time. It takes time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and commitment. Yeah. A little bit of open-heartedness. And the results, as I see them manifesting in a community, could, you know, change and the pace of change and resistance, all those things are great to, to, to have others alongside you in the management of those things, not to feel that you're going in alone, that, that sense of isolation that we often hold, that uh, I'm the lone standard bearer out at the front, you know, mm -hmm. holding the line. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm one of many people in this community who care and who are engaged and who want this to, to grow and succeed. Yes. That seems very, very important and, again, very fundamental. Paul, tell us, where can we find you online and the organizations that you're working with? 
So you can find me at my website, which is paulvasile.com, and that's uh, there's a blog there. There's some music that I've written. You and... better spell spell that out. Oh, for I us. will. So it's www. P A U L V as in Victor A S I L E dot com, and that is a space where again you can find most of my uh, my work, uh, and especially this kind of work with communities. There's some stories. There's some songs that I've written that have come out of my work. Can I can I do a shameless plug? Because I'm sure Paul isn't 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 going to. He has some fantastic music on there, and there's one piece that we're doing. God calls me good. And even the little children are singing this in Sunday school spontaneously. It's so good. Well, I'm thank you, Sarah. That's great. And I'm also you can find me in it at musicthatmakescommunity.org. That's another again nonprofit that I am the executive director of part time. But we do work around oral tradition learning teaching, but also this some of these reflective practices that I've shared connected to noticing. Uh, really a rich. Um, rich soil out of which I've seen a lot of my work grow um, and gratitude for that organization and its formation in my life. I bet. I bet. Well, folks, that's it for this week's installment of Getting to Nimble. Uh, look for new episodes on the first and third Tuesdays of each month. You can find our show notes at sarah-bereza, B-E-R-E-Z-A dot com. And I hope you'll go there often. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're enjoying the show, please share it with your ministry friends and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. This is definitely the best way for people to find the show is word of mouth. I'm Sarah Bariza. And I'm Bill Smoots. And I'm Paul Vasile. Until next time, keep it nimble. Or keep it legal. <laughs> <laughs> or is it and keep it legal? <laughs>